because it's no longer a question of whether our enterprise would be hit with some cybersecurity hacks or risks. It's when. Hello, and welcome to our latest edition of the Cisco series, As You Like It. I'm Ray Kloss, Marketing Director for Australia and New Zealand here at Cisco. In this series, we invite thought leaders to discuss current IT challenges for your business and explore the future of technology as a service. We all know that our businesses must accelerate to digital adoption to deliver for our customers and for our people, and many of us are already there. The number of people and devices communicating digitally has been growing exponentially, and we're heading into another explosion as the Internet of Things kicks into high gear and we attach even more devices digitally in our business to optimize our delivery to our customers. It is crucial that we secure our business, our people, and our customers. The opportunities of digital are enticing, and to reap the rewards, we need to ensure technologically advanced security that keeps up with the constantly evolving landscape. To dig deeper into these security considerations, our host, the Vice President of IDC for APAC, Simon Piff, speaks with Malin Tayag, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at EPLDT, and Cisco's Jeffron Thomas, APJC Lead for Managed Services, Cloud, and Strategic Partnerships. I hope you enjoy this discussion on as-a-service providers and the future of the front line in cybersecurity. So, Jeff Ron, we're going to start with you. What do you think is the current state of cybersecurity in the region? The scale, the sophistication of the kind of cybercrime has really dramatically increased since the time people have started working from home. There are two main things which I see fundamentally changed in the last 24 months. The first one, in the whole hybrid workforce shift that's been happening, it creates a very different type of threat profile for the enterprise, if you will. So you're no longer restricted to your office, the main office or the branch office. You access your critical applications and your network anywhere. So it becomes even more difficult for us to create that cyber secure enterprise network in a very distributed environment. So that is dramatically increased. And with that, the technology that we need, the architecture that we need, um, the skills that we need has dramatically changed over the last 24 months. The second phenomenon, which was always the case, is the whole shift to digitization. And in that, we see a lot of our large, small, medium-sized customers, all of them, including Cisco, moving to a very hybrid cloud, a very multi-cloud environment. So you could have your applications not just on your on-prem data centers, but it could be on multiple clouds. And now that poses a very dramatic change in the way we manage our security of our enterprise, because it's no longer a simple perimeter kind of exercise to secure networks, but a very multifaceted way that we need to look at it when we think of cybersecurity and securing a network. Thanks, Joffrey. And yes, I see, man, you're nodding your head there. I mean, from your perspective, what key changes over the last, say, 12 to 18 months that you've experienced? It's interesting to step back a bit, maybe three to four decades back, right? Cybersecurity was uh, not called cybersecurity, but it was more of a subculture in IT. 
And oftentimes it's, you know, relegated to the governance and the compliance divisions of the organization. And back then, three decades back, I suppose computer virus was the most rampant security incident and its spread was primarily through the use of infected floppy disks. So I don't know if you guys were there. I did, you know, the five inch and the three inch floppy disks. But internet changed the game. It was originally anchored on sharing information. So the founders didn't really see that it would be available for anyone to use or to misuse. Now, fast forward four decades later, we see that technology, as mentioned by Jeffrey, has become more sophisticated, less expensive over time, and it has become much, much easier to use. Even kids, nine, seven years old, they can easily use technology. And with this situation, you know, syndicates and organized crimes have moved their operations in cyberspace. So we continue to see that, and I suppose we will continue to see more and more in terms of increased intensity and sophistication in cyber threats. For me, terms of tactics will be social engineering, which is a human factor in it, ransomware, which we now call the double uh, extortion. Supply chain attacks, are, I think, would remain to be the top three tactics that uh, actors will employ to gain access and disrupt operations. Today, we're seeing cybersecurity being mentioned, right? Look at the SEC corporate filings. Security is actually included in the sustainability standards or ESG disclosures as well. So if you look at it, companies have started realizing that cyber risks is not an IT discussion. It's an enterprise risk. And, you know, with this realization brings the language and I suppose more importantly, the ownership of cybersecurity to the boardroom. In the Philippines or in the region, I think that majority of the enterprises are, I would still say, in its ad hoc or initial stages of maturity in terms of cybersecurity practice. Very few organizations, I think, can confidently claim having strong defenses at this stage. That was a very, very honest answer from you there, I think, Malin. I appreciate that. And I like the reference to ad hoc. I'm not sure if you looked at the maturity scapes that IDC has created, which would agree with you. We ran a study a number of years ago, 2018, we published it on a scale of one to five, the majority of organizations in uh, the Asia-Pacific region, regardless of country and regardless of vertical, we're in the early stages of uh, cybersecurity maturity. But I do think we're noticing a, a change in the last 12 months where boards and CEOs are, are taking a much more higher degree of interest in this than they ever have before. In part because cybercrime is such big business. I'm curious, Joffrey, what's the Cisco viewpoint? Why is cybercrime such big business in the region and elsewhere? I think there are multiple things that could be looked at in this one, Simon. The first thing is that the type of threats is becoming more and more, right? So keeping abreast of the nature, the types of risks that come in with cybercrime and cybersecurity, keeping abreast of it with the right skill sets or who understand this business, both from an enterprise side, from Cisco's side and partner side, it requires continuous learning and investments to keep abreast of the threats that come in. Because I think to the point Melon made for many, many years back, and it gives off my age here when, when she spoke about floppy disks and I was smiling, right? It's, it's a very structured, very well-funded kind of industry in terms of the cybercrime. They seem to be very well-funded because the kind of payback that you get from cybercrime in terms of ransomware, which Melon spoke about, 
the cost to the business is massive. There are two or three areas that we need to look at, right? Investing in people to ensure that there's an ongoing education, not just of the people who manage the security, but also the users in this respect. Your whole ongoing process, enablement, and continuous learning that goes on with it. The third thing is in terms of the cost of a breach or a hack to the enterprise in terms of their brand equity and the trust which they have with their potential customers and their existing customers in how they're viewed to secure their customers' data, the customers' money in any way if it's a financial institution. And the last of which, which I feel is very important for enterprises, the opportunity cost, if you will. Spending money on this, focusing people on the security element of the networks and securing your enterprise, and taking away the same uh, amount of investments to run your actual business and increasing top lines, if you will. That's very insightful. I would agree. I mean, I think the return on investment for the cyber criminals is significant. It can be uh, executed from anywhere. In most cases, what you're doing is legal in your country, just illegal everywhere else. And I think that's kind of brought some concerns to the business. Manon, I wanted to just come to you on this. I mean, what do you think is the, the number one priority that business leaders should consider around cybersecurity? Or should cybersecurity be a number one concern? And have attitudes changed, do you think, over the last, say, three years or so? I would say yes, that yes, awareness has significantly increased. Because look at what's in front of you. What, what is in front of you would be smart home, smart city, smart appliance, smart gadget. And this is us as consumer. We're now slowly going into the cyber physical realm. And this is cyber physical system at play. And there's just no stopping the train, right? I am answering your question from an individual personal perspective because I think that for us to be successful and to see the importance of cybersecurity, we must change how we look at it, right? We must be able to equate cybersecurity with that of our you know, personal physical safety because only with that mindset can we have better appreciation of importance of securing individual or personal information The bigger aspect of it, of course, is the enterprise infrastructure. And looking at it that way, that is the only way we can also truly comprehend the gravity of the impact of being negligent in establishing care, due care in cybersecurity. And when I say care, that represents, you know, consistency, adequacy of your controls, uh, reasonableness and effectiveness of your cybersecurity practices. I mean, you make an interesting point, Malin, because everybody now has access to some form of edge device, right? You think about everybody's using phones or what have you. I mean, Joffrey, the idea that security should be the number one business concern, I'm not sure many business leaders would agree. But I do think there's a, a reason why it should be a higher concern of everybody. I mean, there was a uh, conversation in Singapore just this week saying, should banks take ownership for scams, you know, cyber scams? But it strikes me that there are a number of players in there, including the consumers. So it's a huge question. I mean, the way I look at this is I think things are changing at such a fast pace that it's very difficult for us to start singling out the responsibility and the accountability, if you will, I would say. The lion's share of the accountability and the responsibility should lie within the enterprise. But I think it's a collective responsibility and accountability of all of us. When I say collective, I'm looking at our customers, our partners, and in my perspective, Cisco's. 
So in Cisco, we've been taking it upon ourselves to ensure that we work with partners like PLDT to offer these managed security services to our end customers and the customers themselves, right? To be vigilant themselves, to try and understand what it means. I think at some point in time, I think I don't remember who said this, but if I recollect, it's no longer a question of whether our enterprise would be hit with some cybersecurity hacks or risks. It's when. So I think we are all accountable. We are all responsible for it collectively and working very closely with the enterprise themselves. Sure. You mentioned uh, studies. I mean, we just did a quick study on ransomware. Only 36% of organizations had been hit by ransomware, or at least acknowledged being targeted. We ran the same questionnaire in December, and that number had more than doubled. In excess of 70% of organizations acknowledged ransomware in their environment in the last 12 months. So it's kind of raising everybody's awareness. I think enterprises are seeing it because supply chains are saying we need to be secure as a supply chain. I think there's got to be a bit more work done to consumers and end users to understand what is at risk at the moment. But it's high on everybody's agenda. And that's a good thing. Absolutely agree, Simon. And and on a personal front, eight months back, I think this was something mid last year in 2021, I invested a really comfortable chair because I was working from home quite a lot. I happened to go online to a couple of very boutique type of furniture shops in Singapore, where I reside. And I happened to buy a really nice, comfortable office chair. I think three months later, of course, I got the chair. The chair is beautiful. I'm really enjoying it. But three months later, I got an email. This was from the actual hacker, right? And they had all my data, personal data, in terms of my name, my IC number, my address, my telephone number, were all put up on the internet together with close to around 2,800 other customers. The only good news was they had kept the financial data on the credit card information on a separate server. So luckily, the credit card information was not put up on the internet for grabs on the dark net. So when you come back to the question that you had, Simon, whose responsibility was this? Was this mine? Was this the vendor who was supporting this particular customer on their cybersecurity or was it the end customer themselves, right? I mean, you could start a blame game here, but at the end of the day, from, from my perspective, it was important for me to ensure I did not save my data on the network. And I, I thought about the hacks. I don't know how it happened. And of course, the vendor, which is providing them that solution, should have been even smarter, right? So I think it's a collective responsibility because I got impacted, the customer got impacted because I don't think so. I'm ever going to buy something at least online from them. Very happy with the chair but I'm not very happy with the whole experience. That brings us to the the next sort of part of the conversation, which is really about the front line of enterprise cybersecurity. So, Malin, if businesses are contending with foes who are technologically advanced, we know they're using AI and bots and goodness knows what, how can businesses fight back and and who's really on the front line here? The way I see cybersecurity professional is... Very much like, I suppose, ER doctors, right? For cybersecurity incident response team, they triage, they contain the impact of the incident. And ER doctors pretty much do the same. So the, the work of the ER doctors, the military, you know, Air Force personnel, the cybersecurity incident response team cannot be underestimated. For us in the modern world, the incident response team is the front line of, of the battles. As a leader, though, managing cyber risks of your respective organizations, it may often feel that work is never, never enough because managing cybersecurity problems is not solving them. 
And no matter how good our intentions and efforts are or how big our investments are, the reality is that there is always a cyber attack waiting in the shadows to spread havoc. So if we are to regain the upper hand, there is just really no room for complacency. You need to know your assets, right? You have to assess your risks. You have to have a clear program and roadmap depending on where you're at in terms of the maturity of your cybersecurity practice. And obviously, the heavy lifting is in the implementation of multiple levels of controls to protect your assets. With the recent adoption to cloud, obviously, your controls will no longer be relegated to your on-premise infrastructure. So they move to cloud. You move the security to cloud. You introduce microservices in your security architecture you need to establish visibility through security operations. And this is actually what EPLDT delivers to its enterprise customers, which is visibility, right? As a leader, you would have to work with your assurance groups in the company. And when I say assurance, you talk about audit, your privacy, your fraud, your risk officers, you know, to to manage and and mitigate the risks. There's a cultural aspect to it, right? You, You need to make sure that cybersecurity is not all about technology. You need to make sure that it's embedded in your ways of working. It has to be integral in the products in your service offering. Beyond that, I think most organizations, they now have the ability to leverage on these emerging technologies, like, for example, AI, right? So you can utilize intelligence to detect anomalous behavior in the infrastructure and leverage these types of technologies to cover gaps in capacity. So I think to summarize what I'm saying is there's a lot of work, you know, that that needs to be done. Our our efforts have to be relentless. And of course, the solutions have to be robust as well. 24-7, 365, with unlimited resources and funding. No, I don't think so. (laughs) However, Jovren, I mean, can you give us an indication in this cyber battlefield with the kind of solutions that Cisco brings to help combat these attacks? We try to look at it very holistically. Malin made a really good point in terms of it's not just the technology itself, but it's the people, the processes, the policies. So if I look at from a Cisco's perspective, and if we were to use the word solutions for lack of a better phrase, we look at it from two or three different dimensions, right? The first is we have an ongoing investment in technology, of course, which is our bread and butter which helps the customers and our partners who take it to market. So when we look at the solutions and from a technology perspective, that's the first element of it. The second is we work very closely with our partners because at the end of the day, there's no use of having great technology if you can't take it to the market and help the customers with it. The third is investing in our own people. I think that's important too, right? Investing in our people, because again, coming back to the front line and the first order of support when it comes to it. So from a technology perspective, we look at it from a very end-to-end security perspective. And what I mean by that is we are expecting millions and almost billions of new devices that come into the network. We really need to look at it from filling all possible vulnerabilities and gaps, right? The whole architecture that we look at, we look at it from a cloud security point of view, the network security point of view, and the endpoint security point of view from an extreme zero trust perspective, right? So, and I think that's very important. So we've got solutions for all that. The second thing is coming to touch upon AI and our whole solution around 
Talos. It's extremely key for that. And, and this is a solution which is driven by AI, ML. And at the very heart of it is the whole repository, which is updated on an ongoing basis on all possible threats that come into and the anomalies that could happen in your network. So when you're looking at assessing your own network and the vulnerabilities behind it, you're looking at it by uh, benchmarking it with what Talos has to offer. Malin, the way you described it and the way, Joffrey, you described it, this is an entire business unit. So why would businesses make security their number one priority? Surely their priority is business. I just wanted to ask you the question around, you are a managed security service partner. What's driving your customers to come to you? It's a combination of factors, but more oftentimes the organizations are not ready. Majority of the organizations are still heavily IT-centric. Now, while there is recognition that cybersecurity is important, but they need it now. You know, building a cybersecurity shop is not going to be an overnight activity. You know, you need to hire, you need to have CAPEX investment approved, you, you need to deploy infrastructure. So at a minimum, just to get things going and reach a certain level of maturity to a defined stage, it will take you about, what, two, three years at a minimum. So that is where partners like us can deliver value to these organizations because we can deliver services to them and deliver the competencies to them almost overnight. I think that's the immediate value with very little capex investment required from them. It's delivering agility. I can very quickly spin up a security capability that I don't have internally by working with an experienced partner. Bearing in mind that you know the threats are evolving at a phenomenal rate. This time last year, we we were talking about solar winds, and by the end of the year, that was one of twenty supply chain hacks that the United Nations had identified. So, to what degree would the information, the threat intelligence, are an important part of that whole conversation as well? Threat intelligence is very important because it delivers the predictive aspect of cybersecurity. So if you look at cybersecurity competency, we can no longer you know, survive with just the preventive capability or the detective and responsive capability. There must be some capability for you to predict, right? And, and for you to take action before that threat becomes active in your infrastructure, Right. So you, you need to be able to remediate immediately long before that threat gets into your organization. And that's what threat intelligence ca- can deliver to most organizations, that predictive and readiness aspect of it. So it, it's very important. And you can get it in, in various ways. In, in most of the cybersecurity solutions being offered now, such as Cisco's, right, that, that often comes with embedded threat intel integration. Same goes for the security operation center that EPLDT delivers. You know, we have commercial feeds and threat intelligence is a fundamental, a critical element in in how we deliver our services. Excellent. Excellent. So predicting what's going to happen. Jafran, what are you and the Cisco team predicting will happen in the future of cybersecurity on both sides of this war that we're facing, both what's happening in the hacker space and what's going to be happening on the, the rest of us, the defenders space, for want of a better description? This is always a tough one, Simon. I mean, I, I wish I had a crystal ball which I could gaze into to really predict what's going to happen. But there are two or three probably, I guess, ingredients would be the right word, which I feel will define the way the future of cybersecurity will plan out. The first one I think would be 
very close to what we discussed earlier. And I think Melan touched upon it in terms of the whole smart cities and smart gadgets. In my house itself, I calculated this morning, I've got 14 devices connected to the Wi-Fi. 14 devices, including my vacuum cleaner. And I, I, the reason I looked at it was I was trying to minimize the number of devices connected to the Wi-Fi so I could have a much more seamless experience on this particular podcast. But I realized there were 14 of them. And, and if in the single house you have 14, you can just imagine the number of millions of those devices which are going to be coming out in, in smart cities, smart homes. And what that means, again, is points of vulnerability. In Singapore, we've got at least two or three companies which take care of building maintenance using drones with cameras. And there have been instances of those cameras getting hacked and photographs being taken of some critical um, buildings and sites. It just gives you an idea of how the kind of threats that could evolve with these IoT devices coming on. I think that's the first thing. The second one would be AI and ML, right? So again, coming back to the point that the nature of risks and the vulnerability and the scale at which it's going to be done, it's going to be humanly impossible for uh, someone to look at that and track it. You need to have the whole threat intelligence, vulnerability assessments that need to be done so that we can proactively go out there and predict these risks and mitigate those risks from the cyber attacks. So I think the increasing use in technology of AI ML is here to stay. I think regulation is going to get tighter on this one, irrespective of industry, I feel. We will see much more tighter regulations coming in on this, on how the enterprise, whether it's financial institutions or otherwise, need to secure information of their customers and their own, where the data resides, how it's used, how it can be accessed. Uh, it's going to be much more regulated, I feel. And governments will start getting that much tighter. So there's going to be much more consulting that's going to be done in this so to ensure that there are much more checks and balances put in place for building out a much more secure infrastructure and environment going forward. Malin, what are your thoughts? Any any predictions for the future? Or what do you think is going to happen? I think blockchain is, is playing a key role in terms of how it can revolutionize the cybersecurity space, right? It can have many use cases from, you know, asset provenance to identity management and authentication, especially with the IOTs, right? It will become pervasive. So identity management becomes key and the current manner by which we authenticate centrally will just not cut it in that kind of environment. So I think the distributed ledger technology definitely will help we're seeing movement and use of blockchain in the security DNS, and I think that will continue to mature. Apart from that, what, what is interesting to note is on encryption. Well, encryption is not new. It's not an emerging technology. It has been around for millennia. And right now with the AES standards, it's almost impossible to, to break that. And they actually tell you that hackers don't break the encryption. They, they actually find your keys. On the other side of the fence, while it protects private information, it inadvertently hampers investigation, right, and your cyber protection uh, efforts because perpetrators could use or abuse the encrypted communication channel and use them to hide their efforts from being discovered by cybersecurity measures. We're seeing in the news, right, the, the quantum computing, and that's a very interesting development. While it offers compute power. But what this means as well is that our current encryption algorithms are, I would say, on borrowed time. 
once quantum computing becomes more accessible. And that will render our public key cryptography, which secures our internet, it will be rendered useless. So on the cybersecurity industry, I think there is a need for post-quantum security solutions to develop encryption before their RSA or your AES codes are broken. We'll see more and more intelligent edge computing. We've seen a shift already uh, on the edge of the network. During the pandemic, the edge has become our employees' home, right? Connectivity endpoints. But a more sophisticated, uh, intelligent edge uh, computing is in its early stages, but it will grow. Uh, it will evolve and it will become mainstream. Once this becomes mainstream, then this improvement, we will see more and more increase or uptake of IoTs especially in industries where there is a significant need for high performance levels and reduced latencies, robotics, your autonomous vehicles, your augmented reality. And we'll see the gap between IT and OT to shrink, right? There will soon going to be conversions between two these two networks that used to be uh, traditionally separate. On the data security side, the intelligent edge will in a way, I would say kind of improve data security because we don't need to transport you know, data across several networks. The flip side of intelligent edge, it will exponentially increase the attack surface because more and more technologies connect to more networks. So while we see that IoT is relatively nascent and uh, fragmented, the impact of a breach on this new and immature IoT technology would be significant. So we need to be ready. But it's also interesting, Malin, you talked about blockchain being an enabler of security, but it's also probably the single financial greatest enabler of the threat actors as well, that ability to take global payment anywhere. Same with artificial intelligence, machine learning, that they're leveraging of this. So I agree that regulation has to play a part what I'm also expecting to see moving forward is greater transparency from organizations that have experienced breaches. Because the information that you learn as a result of being breached, you know not to do the next time round. And whilst we can use a lot of technologies and processes to try and protect ourselves, there's a lot of key learnings to be had out of breach information, which we all keep secret because it's a dirty little secret. We need to figure out how to share that more. So I've been pushing regulators to uh, figure out a safe, potentially anonymous way to share this information that will help organizations moving forward. But what do these uh, evolving technologies and vulnerabilities, because the vulnerabilities are obviously going to change. Artificial intelligence is in many ways driving what a new version of ransomware is being created every second. So it's not like we can say, well, we know the signatures, that history is over. The same thing's happening with a whole range of other threats. I mean, ransomware itself is no longer delivered the same way as it was before. It used to be more of a shotgun approach. Now it's very much sniper Let's see how we can plant a virus inside your organization that will then morph into ransomware. But what do you think the, the changes in uh, future technologies are things about how is that going to help you moving forward? I don't know if it was Churchill or Machiavelli said that never let a crisis go to waste, right? We as products and uh, service providers, we're at the forefront of these emerging technologies and we must embrace this innovation, you know, potential that it could deliver to organizations and to us as consumers. 
we must understand these emerging technologies from blockchain, AR, AR, metaverse, cloud computing, 5G, edge computing, quantum robotics, smart cities, cryptocurrencies. We cannot avoid them, right? They will become mainstream at one point in the future and Ignoring them will be losing out on opportunities as an enterprise service provider to galvanize the growth of your company because there's huge potential there, right? And at the same time, if we don't embrace that, we also fail to leverage these advancements to protect our infrastructure. So the upside to that is that more companies are beginning to have a better appreciation and understanding that security must be an integral part of their business infrastructure. And they're turning to vendors like us to provide these uh, security products or solutions or services. So I think interoperability is becoming increasingly important. And there is great opportunity to integrate and bake in security in, into our portfolio offering, you know, from your SD1 to cloud services and all the many layers in between. Bake security in. I've often said that if the DevOps world were serious about security, it wouldn't be called DevSecOps, it would be called SecDevOps. But that's just my opinion. Joffrey, your take on it. Cisco makes a lot of investment, is constantly looking at where the technology is going. Any um, hints and thoughts around that? Malin's captured quite a bit of it. And I was trying to think what was missed. And the only thing which I could think of was NFT on a lighter note. And just three days back in an online auction, I bought a small NFT just for the fun of it. How do I actually keep this secure, right? Because it's no longer putting it in a safe at home or hanging it on my wall. This is out there on the network, on the blockchain network. And it's a code, right, at the end of the day. But just coming back to your point, Simon, the way Cisco is looking at this is, again, looking at it in a multidimensional approach, right? And the first one is, of course, at the heart of it is really investing in that end-to-end -end technology that we look at. So platforms with a SecureX, the Talos, which is that whole threat intelligence and vulnerability assessment piece of it. But investing in the technology is at the very core of it, both organically and through uh, investments. We, we have made quite a few investments in startups. That's one thing. The second is partnerships, right? And, and this is, I cannot stress on this enough because partners who work very closely with us to drive that business outcomes for these customers. So managed security service providers is very key to our whole go-to-market strategy and taking this and bringing it to bear, right? So uh, the way we build up programs around ensuring we help partners to take this technology and implement it is very important. The third dimension that we look at, Simon, is that the whole threat profile spectrum, if you will, right? Before the actual attack happens, while the attack is happening and post-attack. What do you do at different fronts? So the whole, it's not just the AI ML technology piece of it, but also the processes and the policies that you put in place to make this happen. So the whole best of breed policies that we support enterprises to build up within their environment to ensure that we take care of it across that whole spectrum. So together with technology, the policies, the partnerships, the last piece is talent, like I said, investing in our own talent in terms of ensuring that we can take these technologies to market. Malin, I'm curious, what does success in this space look like for you? What does victory look like? 
the question there is how do we win the war over how do we respond to that threat at scale when nearly all the infrastructure cyber infrastructure that we have at risk is not regulated and it's in the hands of you know private sectors i'd like to elevate the conversation to that level beyond individuals and beyond enterprises because i believe that it takes the collective efforts of the global and national communities to you know form and to come together to address this problem at scale as individual as private organizations what can we control what is within our influence in this digital age i i see the daily slog in that daily slog i see the spectrum right the antagonism between the good side and the dark side of the human behavior and our use of technology so i think for me simon cybersecurity plays a very crucial role in in the ecosystem i'd say that we are the gatekeepers or maybe the lighthouse of innovation making sure that darkness doesn't overtake the light the lighthouse of innovation that's a, a great aspiration Jovran, do you have anything uh, a bit more practical we could think of as uh, how to define victory at the moment? For me, defining victory in this one, Simon, would be probably being one step ahead of the bad guy. If we are able to create that environment of security for the enterprise where they can safely um, let our partners like EPLDT and Cisco take care of their cybersecurity needs while they focus with a peace of mind on their own business, to grow their own business. I think for me, that's victory enough. That's excellent. I think taking from what both of you said, I don't don't think I certainly couldn't define victory, but the, the road to victory requires a couple of things. Number one, as Malin said, we need some kind of transnational legislation that is globally consistent. That's the first thing, first step to trying to make some of this illegal where it's legal. And then the second thing is, that, as you said, Geoffrey, it's letting the business focus on the business of the business, but a full understanding of the risks that they face and providing them with the skills and the tools to try and stay, if not one step ahead of the bad guys, at least fully cognizant of the risk of what they're doing in the business space. At the same time, striving for that ability to build increased levels of trust with their customers and their partners ongoing. Couldn't agree more, Simon. So thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Simon. Thanks for listening to this episode of As You Like It. And special thanks to our guests, Jeffron and Malin, and of course, our host, Simon. I'm Ray Kloss, and we'll be back soon to discover more insights into the future of technology as a service. Until then, wishing you ease and growth in your business.